listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. All right, so Benjamin, the narrator of the novel The Fisherman and a young boy in Akure, Nigeria, reflects over his family's tragic story in the novel. And for him, the beginning of the tragedy was when their father, Father Eme, left their home for a job outside of their town, being gone for long periods of time. So Father Eme was the authority of the house, the one who brought peace, harmony, and stability. Benjamin describes his father in this way. Father was an eagle, the mighty bird that planted his nest high above the rest of his peers. Hovering and watching over his young eagles, the way a king, somebody say king, the way a king guards his throne. Our home, the three-bedroom bungalow he bought the year Akena was born, was his cupped eerie, eerie is like a bird nest, a place he ruled with a clenched fist. This is why everyone has come to believe that had he not left Akure, our home would not have become vulnerable in the first place. My God. And that the kind of adversity that befell us would not have happened. So in a household without their kingly father, four preteen slash teenage brothers ended up skipping school and starting to sneak away to a cursed river to go fishing. They were caught and the father came home and disciplined them really harshly, but things got even worse after he left. Little did the mother know, the mother of the household, uh, Mother, Mama Ike, that one day as they were coming home from fishing, they encountered the village madman, Abulu. He came up and prophesied that the oldest brother, Akina, would be killed by a fisherman. And so the oldest brother, who was the leader of the four brothers, he now is thinking, one of my brothers is going to kill me. And so he quickly uh, starts to alienate everyone around him. And, and uh, Benjamin says this about Akina. For the prophecy, like an angered beast, had gone berserk, and was destroying his mind with the ferocity of madness. Have any of y'all ever been there? That fear is running around in your mind like a beast and destroying everything? Akina first alienated the younger two brothers, and then he eventually grew angry with his, uh, his, his, his next oldest brother, Bola, who was his closest brother. Akina stopped eating. He became vicious to his family, started being real rude to his mom, which y'all, y'all already know how that is, and eventually became consumed with fear. Akina was tripping. The mother begged the father to come home, would call him and beg him to come home so that his authority would be restored in the home. She warned him that she was losing grip over the children and she was, he was not able to return. He was stationed even further away from the home. And the tension grew so deep that Akena and Boja started fighting one day. And the fighting grew so fierce that the prophecy fulfilled itself. Boja murdered his older brother, Akena. The tension grew so deep that the prophecy fulfilled itself. And Benjamin says about his mother after this. His, his mom, Mama Ike, when father drove into the compound the morning after Akina died, she'd run up to him, open the door of his car, and dragged him out of the car into the rain, screaming, strangling him by the collar in the rain. Did I not tell you, she cried, didn't I tell you that they were fast slipping from my grip? Didn't I? Didn't I? 
After days of looking for Boja, who had run away, they found his body in the family well. He had dived in and killed himself. The mother ends up having serious mental illness. She ends up going to the hospital. Later, Abulu, the madman who is responsible for all this, comes to the two boys' funeral, and the father tries to uh, uh, attack Abulu, but the father loses and his eye is damaged. The younger two brothers eventually kill Abulu with fish hooks, and the youngest of the four brothers spend time in prison, and Boja runs away and spends time kind of in exile. And the whole point of me bringing up this, this tragedy, this story, is that when the central authority of the house left, everything fell apart. The house went against its deepest principles. The house became divided. And the house eventually and literally started to destroy itself. And family, a similar issue plagues the church. We often don't actually believe the Lord's authority is good. We rebel against his word. We think his word is outdated or is really too constricting, or are we really going to believe the authority of the Lord? We don't want to unite under his lordship. In fact, authority and submission are curse words nowadays. I was hanging out with my neighbor, and he literally said that. I I mentioned submitting to the Lord. He said, oh, that's a bad word. Similar to Benjamin's family, we are often missing the life-giving authority of the king. And so as, as we're going to see, the main problem of the book of Judges is that they were not united under a central authority. They were not united under God's lordship. They wanted to be kings and queens unto themselves. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. They eventually started going down the path of self-destruction And the whole book is a case for why the people of Israel needed a strong, centralized warrior king to rule over them on behalf of God. But you might be thinking, because, you know, we live in the United States, we have presidents. Um, Why were kings so important? And what exactly did they do in the Bible? So kings were powerful military leaders. They established peace as powerful military leaders. They were wise judges. They established justice. Third, they were administrators establishing harmony. And lastly, they were students of God's law, which was the heart of it all. The king was supposed to be humble and trust in the Lord. And by doing so, he became kind of weak. He didn't create military alliances with other nations. He didn't keep a large standing army, nor did he amass riches for himself because he trusted in the Lord. So, y'all, our main point for today, if you don't get anything else from our time today, this is it. Jesus is our common king So unite under his authority. Jesus is our common king. So unite under his authority. So I want to start by looking at the vision of God's reign. So a covenant is a formal relationship between two parties. And God created a covenant with his people. He was basically like, look, if uh, essentially God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He brought them to himself and he created a formal relationship. He said, look, if you uh, obey me, you will be my treasured possession. I will fight all those who fight you. You will never lose a battle. I will guide you through the wilderness. I'll feed you even though there's no food and I will give you water even though there's no water. And when you come into the promised land, if you submit to me and believe in me, I will drive out all of the people who live there and you will live in a land flowing with milk and honey. And he says that the enemies all around them will will not be able to overcome them. God will give them rest. This is if the people drove out all of the, 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 the former people who lived in the promised land and did not worship their gods. 
But let's look at the reality. They failed to serve only God. When they entered the promised land, they did not drive out all the inhabitants. And therefore, they started to intermarry with them. And then therefore started worshiping their gods. And this led to them doing all of the unjust practices and things that uh, came with worshiping other gods. And then they were tormented by these other gods. So basically, God was like, okay, so so y'all want to worship these gods. I'm going to sell you into the hands of the people who worship these gods. If y'all really want to worship these gods, go ahead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you into the hands of those who worship these gods. And let's see how that works. They were oppressed. They were distressed. They were beat down and bruised. And every time they tried to rebel against the gods that they worshiped, the Lord himself would fight against them. And he says, if y'all, y'all aren't going to come back to me unless you submit to me. I'm against you. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. They wanted to be their own kings. And you see what's interesting about this? We are hardwired to submit to authority. And if we don't submit to the Lord's authority, we are going to submit to someone else's authority, either our own or someone else's. And every time we don't submit to the Lord's authority, we always choose a tyrant to be our king. They were oppressed and things got so bad they cried out to the Lord and the Lord would graciously deliver them through a king like military leader called a judge. And the judge would lead the people back into faithfulness to God. But the Bible tells us they didn't listen to the judges. Things only got worse and worse. And when the judge would die, they would get worse. And there was a downward spiral until the people were divided among themselves. They had beefs and quarrels with each other. And it got so bad that the end of the book a woman was brutally raped by a group of men and her husband took her body, her bruised uh, and and, and mutilated body, divided it into 12 pieces and sent it to all the tribes of Israel. I know it's ugly, y'all. Things got ugly. And basically all the tribes of Israel said, ain't nothing like this has happened the whole time we've been in the promised land. We got to do something about this. That incident happened in the land of Benjamin. And so all the other tribes said, hey, Benjamin, give up the people who did this. They need to come to justice. And the tribe of Benjamin said, "Now nah, we're going to war. So the Lord and the other 11 tribes of Israel went to war against the tribe of Benjamin. This was the first civil war in Israel's history. Things got bad, y'all. And the end of the book ends with the verse, there was no king in the land, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They were not united under the Lord's authority. This is a picture of what will happen if the church, if the church is not united under Jesus' lordship. The church will stray away from God. The church will be tormented by our own idolatry. It will only get worse and worse for the church. The church will be divided amongst itself and devour itself. Are we not seeing this kind of now a little bit? And the church will be no different from the world and have nothing attractive to offer. It will actually start giving the world what the world has offered the church already. Isn't that ironic? Have y'all seen the uh, Marvel movie Captain America Civil War? Y'all seen that? Are any of y'all Marvel fans? Janelle and I watched all the movies in order. We might do it again sometime soon. (laughs) But uh, basically, in this movie, I think it's interesting because there is no, like, super alien. There is no, like, robot that's trying to destroy the Avengers. There is no, you know, super villain. The villain is this guy named Zemo. And he's just smart. And he knows how to divide up the Avengers. He said, I'm going to just get them to hate each other. So he, he gets them to have divided leadership. 
He gets them to start turning against each other. He starts framing them for crimes. He starts exposing their sin. Until the end of the, you get to the end of the movie, they're divided. Uh, Captain America is in exile and hiding with half of the Avengers. Tony Stark is, is, is and, and all his people are kind of beat up and discouraged. And literally, the Avengers falls apart. It's because they did not, have, did not have central and organized leadership. Captain America and Iron Man were divided among each other. Now, you might be thinking that, okay, everything would be great if Israel just had a king, right? Like, okay, ooh, thank God that they're going to get a king. But things didn't get, they, they, they got even worse with a king. They got better for a little bit under King David, and then they got worse. They experienced the same problems because the king was imperfect, and the people were imperfect. The solution wasn't a different form of government. The solution was a people with a changed heart renewed to actually love God's authority and experience flourishing over under it. The church and the world not only needs a strong king, but it needs a perfectly righteous king who is actually able to change our hearts. And who could this be? King Jesus. Like Father M.A., Jesus is also an eagle. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. So he spread his wings to take them up and carry them safely on his pinions. King Jesus is a real and better version of Father M.A. Father M.A. left a curé to go away from his family, but King Jesus came from far away from heaven to be with his people, and he will never leave them. Father M.A. gave his fishermen boys fierce discipline to control them, but King Jesus gives the children of God new hearts to change them so that they can actually become fishers of men, leading them into the authority of God. Father M.A. allowed his house to become divided and devour itself, but King Jesus is uniting and building up his house. Father M.A. fought the enemy of his household and lost, but King Jesus fought the enemy of his household and won on the cross. Isn't it funny that in, have y'all seen any like medieval movies when there's a new king and they all gather together and they're all like, my sword is yours for life. I shall die with you, right? Or like, I will go into the deepest depths of hell for you, my king. And you'd be like, watching it and be like, dang, is it that serious? Like, I wouldn't do that. That dude's just a man, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's hard to understand for us, but a good king meant everything was going to change. A good king meant everything was different. A good king was game-changing for the life of the people. And I'm here to tell you today that we have a good king. Under King Jesus' leadership, everything is different. Unlike in Judges, the king will remain devoted to God by the power of the Spirit of Christ. The church will have the power to resist the temptations to love the things the world loves. We will have joy, purpose, change, and freedom. The God of the universe will, result, will exult over us and sing over us and satisfy us with good even when we suffer. Life with King Jesus will lead to flourishing. Unlike in Judges, the king will only get, the, excuse me, unlike in Judges, the church will only get better and better. The church will be united 
life with King Jesus means you will be an instrument for healing and unity in a divided world. Unlike in Judges, the church will be different. Life with King Jesus means that you will embody an attractive difference to the world that it so desperately needs. I want to invite you to experience eternal life under King Jesus. Y'all, this is really every Sunday when we get up is a campaign speech for King Jesus. (laughs) I just laid out his platform. And I'm not asking you to vote for him. I'm asking you to submit to him. Conversion can be accurately described as bending the knee to King Jesus. Your offenses against the crown are forgiven. The favor of the king is bestowed upon you. And you are granted a prestigious position in the royal household to fight united for the good and glorious king. Will you join us? Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.